coming from this all-time high of foreign land and lands, and now they enter into Jesus' whole area, Galilee, where Jesus was kind of saying that it's really hard to do ministry in my hometown. You know, they thought that, you know, if you ever grew up in a town who was a little hero, you know, people kind of don't take him seriously or they don't glorify him. And like, hey, look at this, you know. You know, if you made the vast penny, like, hey, shoot the moose. You were if you're a comedian, like, you have some jokes. They were proud, but yet they didn't believe that he was what he said he was. Today we're going to pick up a dive right in John chapter 4, verses 23 to 54. You can follow along with your Bible, your phone, or it should be the time that there is. So after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen that he had, all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick and kept her. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, the Galileans, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed, and while he was still on the way, the servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Lord, I pray that these words would pierce our soul. Lord, would you illuminate who you are through this text? In the name of pray, amen. Signs. You know, we talked about last week. A sign is something that's not the destination, but something that gives directions. When we are hiking this summer, our family's trying to do hiking things. You know, we're, we're getting older, we just turned four, and we're like, you know, our kids, you know, in the world of technology, let's get them outside. I grew up in New Hampshire. I'm still trying to complete 48,000, 4,000 footers, and I want my family to join. So we started with small mountains. So we did Mount Major. If you ever done Mount Major, you have to do it. I know the students do Mount Major every summer. It's on Lake Wasaki, you have a good view. So we're, we went there, we went to Acadia National Park, we did some other little mountains. And if you've been hiking, you know that there are these yellow or blue paint spots on the trail, right? You know what I'm talking about. That guide you to make sure you're on the trail. So if Adrian and the boys drew a lake, we would say, hey, can you find, in this case, the yellow spot? And so we would be hiking through, most likely it was on my shoulders, and you'd say, I see one, and you'd go over, and you'd slap the yellow spot. We go to the next one and you keep slapping it. And we made our way to the top. And when we got to the top, Drew had another meltdown. Say, Dad, we're like, I don't want a yellow spot. Where are the yellow spots? And then Drew, there are no more yellow spots because we're in the top. And he just couldn't fathom that the signs had stopped. 
And it's like, dude, what can we do? Look, we don't have to go up anymore. You know, we're, we're here, we arrived. And he wanted more and more of the signs. And while he was obsessed with the directions, he missed out on the destination. And this is what John talks about in his gospel, that the signs are not the thing. The signs are not the destination. The destination is Jesus. And the signs direct us to Jesus. And I think many of us right now are sign seekers. We are more obsessed with what Jesus can do for us instead of what Jesus has already done for us. We are more obsessed with what Jesus can do for us than who he is, the Son of God. And we seek signs. These Galileans were sign seekers. I think many of us are Galileans. They haven't seen what Jesus had done in Jerusalem. So they've seen the miraculous happen. Maybe many of them, because weddings were very much a neighborhood event, maybe many of them actually saw all the water turn into wine. And so it wasn't because they hadn't seen anything from Jesus or a sign. It's that they wanted to see more. Do more, Jesus. Do it again. Do more. I, I always go back to the movie Gladiator. And when he was like, Maximus is in the big you know, stadium, and they're all like cheering, and he yelled, Are you not entertained? No story, come on, nothing on that. <laughs> and I feel like Jesus is this crowd, and he's like doing these signs, and he's like, Are you not entertained? You know, this kind of idea that they think is kind of like entertainment. And Jesus is trying to say, like, It's not about the signs. Many people have doubts. And to be honest with you, everybody in this room, including myself, will struggle with doubts. You know, when Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the sound of movement, it will move. Which means, if you can have that much faith, the rest of it is still in doubt. And so, these signs were to help overcome doubt. But to what extent? How many signs did these Galileans need to believe in Jesus? Was it seven, eight, seven thousand, infinity? And that's the question. That Jesus said, you've already seen them. Why do I need to do more? My guess is many of you, if you were looking in your hands, you would see signs that point to Jesus. It's the Son of God in the world. You would see God working in your life. Seasons that he's gotten you through, addictions you've overcome, kids that you've had, marriages that have been saved, jobs that have been changed, health that has been recovered. And the list goes on and on and on of what God has done in your life. And Jesus says, you know, look back, how much more of that do you need to point to me as your Savior? Last week, we dedicated eight days. We dedicated a lot of babies here at Clarkston. And many of these parents, I have sat with, I have prayed with, rats with, because they are either unable to have kids or because they've had miscarriages. And here we are dedicating these beautiful babies. What a, what a 
gracious power to us. Now, yeah, you can say, well, that was in the past. And now we say, well, what have you done for me lately? How many of you have said that to Jesus? Well, that was great. But this thing about I need you to move. What have you done for me lately? Instead of what has Jesus already done? And what I mean by what you've done, not just in the light, specifically on the cross. And if we can redirect what God has done as our foundation instead of what he's doing, it will change your faith. See, the danger is that we become focused on signs and not the sun. Jesus. Our perspective gets changed to, if God loves me, I won't suffer, instead of God suffering because he loved me. And we think following Jesus will make our life better. And I do think it will make your life better, but not in the context of, hey, every problem and trouble will go away. You know, that's not the message we see. In fact, I believe that the message that Jesus gives us is that not that your life will be better, but you will be better at life. That we will be better to navigate the troubles in our life. That we will be able to receive the peace that only Jesus can give us. That not our, not will our circumstances change, but we will change in the midst of our circumstances. And if we keep seeking these signs as our proof, I just want to say there's not going to be enough signs that is your desire. To keep you over the air. I've been with people who've had miraculous signs in their life where they've been face to face with God, where Jesus had miraculously answered prayers, but yet here they are asking, What have you done for me lately? And so here in the midst of this, this father, a royal official, so he had power, many money, traveled over 20 miles to see this man named Jesus. He was desperate. My guess is he's done everything he could for his child. Best medicine that was available in 31 BC. Best care. Any kind of money. And then he heard the name Jesus and he heard that he has healed him. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to just go 20 miles. If you were if you're a parent, you would go 20,000 miles to the medicine. And he's desperate. Put yourself in his father's shoes. Travels through the night. Uh, just about a man and her and his care. He's desperate. Losing a child is probably the hardest thing. I would say, actually, not probably, but the hardest thing I think you can go through. Unfortunately, I had life experience saying in fact, I was reading the other day that the first death in this world was not Adam and Eve, it was actually Cain killed Abel. Abel was the child of Adam and Eve. And so talk about a slap in the face. You're in the garden eating in perfection, walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden sin and brokenness ushered in. And it's not just like, oh, I'm tired, or oh, it's childbirth. It's, oh, you lost your son. Even God, watching Jesus, his on the cross, and I guess as he was. The father was desperate, trying to avoid the same circumstance. And I, too, was a desperate father. Yesterday was the three-year anniversary of the Elliot Wooden Hill. I 
Montreal. We connected with about seven different hospitals. We did new therapies. We would do anything to heal our father, my, our daughter. There was this pastor friend of mine who said, hey, I have a guy who says he has a gift of healing. I said, yes, our father was like, fantastic. And so he said, do you mind if he comes over and pray? Like, Absolutely. I didn't know this guy. His testimony is really wild. And the guy comes in and I'm desperate. I'm like, I do whatever. Okay. He said, this is what we're going to We're going to park around your house seven times. Then we're to the walls of Jericho. I said, Israel, let's walk around the, the walls seven times. He's like, okay, done. Let's do it. So we started walking. Fortunately, my house is really small, so we didn't take that long. We walk around. And then he said, we're going to stand in the front yard and we're going to yell Jesus seven times. The story of the Israelites of Jericho, after seven times around the city, they yelled and the, the walls came crumbling down. So they didn't have to come down. It's going to happen. And I don't live, I mean, I live in Newberry, so there's no like talking place in Newberry, but I do live on Main Street. So it is a popular road, and I have neighbors, and here are me, my friend, who's a pastor, and his friend, yelling, Jesus! Jesus! And here I am joining the line around this. Trying to crack the code. Trying to formalize my faith. If we've gone eight times, there's too much faith going on. We had to do seven, we had to yell seven. This is kind of my thinking. That same guy had a friend, he said, I got another friend. He also has a gift of healing. I said, bring him over. And this was about a week plus before I went to heaven. And he's in our driveway with some friends. And he said, I need to lay hands on your daughter. This was in the middle of COVID, and my daughter didn't want to see anybody, especially a stranger. And he said, You can't come in. He said, If I don't lay a hand on her, she won't be healed. And he said, Because of your faith and your lack of faith, it became a kind of like a little bit of a squabble slash fight. So finally, he said, All right, I'm going to pray over the scarf and take the scarf and bring it to her. And if she touched the scarf, she won't be healed. And this story right here says, If Jesus didn't need to lay a hand on the boy, nor does this man need to but you know what I did? I took the start making it rock with it. And it didn't happen the way we hoped. Ellie didn't get a practice to keep it And what it meant for me is that there are no formulas of miracles that are visible. In fact, if you look through scriptures, Jesus doesn't repeat the same method of miracle twice. It's very different. Spit on someone, mud, go wash in a pool, go. He'll do this, do that. He, he kind of changed up. Why did they, I don't want you to formalize this. It's not about what you say. It's not about how you say it or what you do. Jesus knows more. What Jesus wants from us is he wants our obedience. When the man says, what do I need to do to have your life? Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Obey me. And this is what this man did. This man who had yet to believe in because he, it says later he believed after he saw her that the boy was healed. He didn't believe, but he left obeying. What's interesting about this particular sign is this Jesus, come with me. And Jesus says, no. Because what Jesus knows is that if he gives the sign at that moment to show everyone for all these sign seekers 
that he knows that they are going to go farther from Jesus instead of closer to him. God's not going to give you something that's going to bring you farther from him. He loves you too much. I'm praying for this relationship. I'm praying for this job. I'm praying for whatever it may be to pray for. Oftentimes, the things that we pray for that we receive, and I'm going to put family into that, bring us farther away from Jesus, to become our idol instead of Jesus. We get obsessed with the gift and not the gift we have. Jesus loves us too much to put things in our life that are going to bring us farther from him. Now, if I made this amount of money, then I would know Jesus was real. And he'd say, if I gave you this much money, you wouldn't even trust in me. Because you trust in me. God, if you gave me this relationship, if you gave me these kids, God gives it for some. He blesses us with those. And we actually get farther. So he's not going to do that because he loves you. And what I love particularly about this sign, even though it came with a rejection, he thought it was a rejection, but at the time, as soon as he said it, the miracle happened before he could see it. I believe Jesus is doing something right now in your life that you can Prayers that you have been praying, I believe. In some cases, are already been answered, and you just haven't seen them. And imagine that you just saw. What a long night. Because he traveled 20 miles. He didn't get the news until the next day of the scriptures. So he traveled through the night or spent the night somewhere. My guess is he probably spent the night somewhere. And I'm like, did he sleep? What was he thinking? It didn't say he believed in Jesus, he just said he took him at his word and he obeyed. Many of you are obeying Jesus, but yet to see the thing that he's doing in your life. But that doesn't mean he's not doing something in And this long night that Jesus, that this man has, he's laying there, he's like, okay, I've tried everything. And he said he was healed. Is he healed? Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of optimism. Maybe there's a little frustration. Maybe there's anger because Jesus wouldn't go with him. Maybe he told his wife, guess what? I'm coming to bring this man. And he's coming to our house. And he's leaving empty-handed. So he's just confused. I don't know what to do with this. And it was a long, long night. I'm hoping without sleep. How many are you in that how many of you in this moment right now are hoping that happens? When we planted fires a little more five years ago, the fact that we are here in this building right now is the fact that we are growing, God is doing stuff, it's just miraculous. There were many Sundays that I remember getting in the car and the five families who were with us couldn't make it and they tell me they didn't either. I remember being so frustrated in the midst of COVID. Remember COVID? Where we're on our computers and we're thinking, I haven't seen anybody and God is sitting there. Is anybody with us anymore? 
and the battle came. I would be giving sermons on COVID in the hospital. I was my life, and I remember feeling so defeated. And then LA went to be with heaven and thinking, God, you're in the midst of COVID. Thinking, God, you're here. And I talked to a couple people, and I said, I believe this, man. And I, I don't know if it's a word for you, I don't know what, but I believe that there is a, a harvest from it. I mean, he's preaching. And I used to have an when I was growing up, we were and there was two fields. Right? And all the family would go, it's kind of like a child labor, and we'd all go. And, and on one year, we would rape, and on that same year, they would burn the other field. They would burn the field, and get rid of all the weeds and stuff, and every day they'd come. So even if you had the best crop, then that shit actually was getting burned. And so I felt like, God, maybe you're burning the fires. And maybe this burning is preparing Crop that will be done. And I said, I believe it. I believe that the hearts of me. I believe that God has been used to, to transform the lives, to usher in the peace that only Jesus can give. And I think the beginning of this year, we started last year, and I think they're, they're seeing, there, there's a, uh, someone gave us a little plaque that said, The harvest is coming, has some blueberries. And it's right there when they come out of the shower, it's there. So for a while, I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to get it. And then recently, I was looking and like, oh, God, you're doing something. Not just in all of the knee as well. And God was doing something even like this. God was doing something even like you couldn't see it. I believe I'm in this long night right now, and I'm saying, God, Promise that he would be healed. Read scriptures that no one will die who knows Jesus. Promise that they get to the heaven, that she's in perfection. People having dreams about it, all these things, but yet I don't get to see. So I'm living in this long night, believing that one day I'll be reunited with God. So taking Jesus at his word. Living in a long night. And as we're living in a long night, we do what this as our Father did. We live obedience. We live obedience. We do as we say, as we live what He has said. And I want to end with a question because there's a bigger story going on here. So today I'm also and you gotta use the story. The boy was healed. And we rejoice. God has And the Bible says we are called to pray for those who are sick. God can still heal. I truly believe that. But scripture also says that the father and his whole family believe that they believe Jesus was the son. So the question that I have for you, and this question is the most important question that you can debate for all the time. This question is the question that will change your perspective, change how you live, change how you parent, change how you are a student, change how you're a son or daughter. The question is this, what is more important? That the Lord was healed or that is family? 